Father Fred Kaye was 15 years old when he started having some big questions. This is Father Fred. It was to me, in my, my head, in my mind, and in my heart, and said, what is life? What is life? Why we are in this world? What is our purpose? What is a family? What is death? Where we go? What would happen? You see, there are very, you know, very, very traumatic questions that in, in, and then creates a big, big uh, uh, vacuum, you know, in, in your soul. So I didn't have any response. And they were really bothering me with this question. What is life, especially? What is life? Where do we come from? Where will we go? These questions weren't abnormal for someone's age, especially for someone who grew up in an environment without belief systems, creeds, or mentors to encourage free thinking. But they were particularly risky questions to be asking. Questions the Albanian government at that time didn't really want people to ask. And they were really bothering me with this question, what is life, especially? What is life? Where do we come from? Where will we go? You know, and in general. And in that time, I started reading humanists. I remember I read, I read any book, so there were some forbidden books that hide to friends of my father, so I read Dostoevsky, I remember, I, I read Victor Hugo, so that I love very much Victor Hugo, uh, a lot of uh, Russians, because they were translated in Albanian, since Albania is communist, they have good ties with Russia, so Gogoli, you know, uh, Pushkin, Dostoevsky, as I said, and uh, um, all this, 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 this uh, Russian uh, writers, and after I, I, I remember I uh, very much impressed by uh, Charles Dickens, you know, Gosworth, you know, and after Hemingway and all these guys here, Mark Twain, and so I was trying, you know, to to pick some sayings and that can respond to my fundamental question. There were many books unavailable to him. They'd been confiscated or burned by the government. People had been jailed or punished by death for reading and teaching them. This is because Fred was growing up in Albania, the first atheistic communist country in the world at the height of its dictatorship. So any questions relating to the spiritual had alarming consequences, and Fred was resigned to merely throwing out his endless barrage of questions into the spiritual void. That is, until a copy of the Gospel of Matthew literally fell on his brother's head after an earthquake. One of Fred's favorite writers, Fyodor Dostoevsky, had a great line in one of his books that says, If they drive God from the earth, we shall shelter him underground. Lucky for Fred, his hundreds of parishioners and the thousands of lives his story has since touched, a tiny old woman in Albania had a similar thought. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and the communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode is sponsored by Alliance Catholic Credit Union. Learn how you belong here at AllianceCatholic.com. February 10th, 1967, Fred Kaye celebrated his 10th birthday, surrounded by his three brothers, his sister, and his parents. It had the sparsity of a typical Albanian birthday during communist rule. But his birthday meal was blessed the same way they did all meals, with grace and the sign of the cross. It was one of the last times that action would be made freely and without anxiety, because things were changing in Albania. 
doing little by little, you know, start, you know, putting roots in the Albanian, uh, the communists are putting roots in the Albanian tradition, in the Albanian people, and starting to change, you know, to, to rapidly change. It started with the bishops. So they called the bishops of the time, four bishops. They, they put them in a room. They asked them to rewrite the canon of the church. And then so after some, they took some times, and when they went to report, they said, we read carefully the canon of the church. It is perfect, beautiful. We do not see anything to change. So they are all killed. And then after, and then after they appointed government himself, appointed some other bishops. And then the seminaries. They closed the seminaries. One day, I remember Father Primus Nervasha, the, the uh, former pastor of uh, Our Lady of Albanian Church, he told me one morning, I was in seminary, he said the communists came, partisans came, and they said, you have four hours to leave the seminary and go home. If any one of you, you know, will, will uh, uh, disobey this law, will be killed. So it was a and then a seminarian who disobeyed, and so they were, they were killed, and they are martyrs today. And finally came the announcement they were all fearing. And they ended up, you know, in 1967, you know, in March 25, 1967, the Enver Hoxha, the, the dictator, have uh, proclaimed through the radio that uh, by the initiative of the young people, and he is lying, you know, the, the, the faith, it is not allowed more in Albania. So we declare ourselves the first atheistic country in the world. The Prime Minister, Enver Hoxha, started a violent campaign to extinguish religious practice, scapegoating them as a source of Albanian ethnic divisions and nationwide poverty. He converted all churches, mosques, and monasteries into sports arenas, theaters, malls, and warehouses. Praying, making the sign of the cross, wearing a crucifix were treated as crimes and could put people in jail. Thousands of Albanians were perceived enemies of the regime and tortured and killed or died in detention camps and tens of thousands were arrested. Today, the church recognizes 38 Albanian martyrs to communism. Churches start being destroyed, literally, you know, to the, you know, to the foundation of dynamite. Some churches were in good shape. They were converted, like, for example, the St. Stephen Cathedral in, in my city, Škodra, you know, northern part of Albania, it is, it is heavily Catholic there. It was converted in palace to play basketball, you know. And then and, and the Franciscan church, another beautiful church and big church, it was converted to cinema. You know, some other churches in the villages and in, in the suburb, they were converted, they call Shia cultures, the house of culture. You know, very much it is used for youth to indoctrinate youth and propaganda and so on and so on. But most of them, they were totally destroyed. In 1977, Hoja introduced a penal code imposing prison sentences of three to 10 years for religious propaganda, production, distribution, or storage of religious literature. People or towns with Islamic or Christian-sounding names had to change them, and those caught with icons, Bibles, or religious objects faced long prison sentences. Clergy were publicly vilified. Their vestments were confiscated and desecrated. Hundreds of clerics were imprisoned, executed, or starved to death. 
a Franciscan monastery was set on fire, resulting in the death of four elderly monks. I remember in the time I was in high school, we had to bring religious things in the school. And we were about 1,200 students to bring religious crosses, icons, books, whatever. And they put in the middle of the you know, court, backyard, and they burned it, you know. And then so this was, you know, started the powerful propaganda. In that moment, in that moment, our parents were, were afraid to speak to us about God. So I can say it was the dark, you know, it was the time of darkness. His family's religious practices became a practice whispered in the shadows of night instead of the point of pride it once was. Because Fred's dad was an elementary school teacher, it was particularly dangerous for him to talk about God. Teachers who did were often imprisoned or killed. Fred's uncle had already spent five years in jail as a political enemy of the state, and so the religious practices his parents valued were reduced to an Our Father and Hail Mary before bed, a whispered Merry Christmas or Happy Easter to a friend on the street. They were afraid because you were very young, and young people only know something about, excited they might share with their friends, friends with their parents, and you see the, the word can spread out, and then after it can come to the ears of government, and you can end up in jail or badly persecuted. It was in this spiritual desert that Fred's existential questions came to the surface. He needed to know, in the absence he was growing accustomed to, the meaning of their life. Or, what he most feared, if there was even a meaning. In the books he poured through, he found writers' words that orbited close to the source of truth, but he never uncovered exactly what he was looking for. After high school, he went to work in a shoe factory, and then he joined the army as was required by every young man at the time. And for several years, he was buried in the drudgery of building some 500,000 bunkers for the increasingly paranoid Hoja from an imagined invasion. And then, disaster. In 1979, and then I was 22 years old, and it was a big earthquake in Albania, and the center, it was in my city, in Škoda. And then so, they, thanks God, didn't die many people. Few people died, but damages like broken walls and roofs and these things. Fred's brother, who worked in construction, was appointed by the neighborhood to go out and investigate the damages and make reports to the government. He entered the home of an elderly woman whose home was dilapidated. And she had some forbidden book that she hid in a suitcase in the ceiling. And then because the earthquake, the ceiling collapsed. And then so the suitcase fell down and it was a wooden suitcase, it was broken. Books are spread out a little bit, you know how, and then my brother explained me that, and after some debris, it was in top. And so when Leonard, my brother's name is Leonard, and when he was there, he took a book, and he opened the book, it was covered with a, a white paper, and it was written, the, the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. It was a deluxe, very beautiful book. So my brother asked Lucy and said, can I take this book? And she says, can I see it? And so I said, oh yes, take it and God bless you. Fred's brother read the book voraciously, again and again and again. And in 1981, when a disillusioned Fred was finally discharged from the army, his brother gave it to him. And then after he approached me and my older brother and said, Fred, I know that you love books. You know, and then read this book, he said. Read this book. 
please read it from the beginning to the end. Don't be discouraged. And then after he said, if you do not like the book, for my sake, he said, read it again. And then after do whatever you want. Fred read the gospel and felt a seismic emotional shift. And then so I, I took the gospel and then I found there, to be honest, every single you know, question that I was asking, and it was still pondering in my heart, you know, I, I saw there in the gospel. And it was, to be honest, it was unbelievably joy to me. It looks like, like the, 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 the whole sky is open, like a young thing. I can describe the joy, like the light in myself. And then after I read more than 50 times the, this gospel, and I, even today I know by heart a lot. The words of the gospel felt like a love letter penned specifically for him, for this young man stuck in the misery of a godless nation. And then after little by little, I start, you know, like I start uh, trying to be, to know more about Christ, you know, all uh, self-learned, you know, I didn't have books, I didn't have any direction. And I remember very well, about 26, 27, 25, you know, in that area, little by little start crystallizing in myself the idea to be priest. And I remember one time I was with my friend Joseph, a good friend of mine, and I said, if it was seminar, I said, I would, I would, I would enter. And then he looked at me and laughed and said, I would do the same. But becoming a priest in communist Albania presented considerable hurdles. Anyone who escaped Albania was considered an enemy of the people, meaning their family could be sent to a labor camp. The police would come in the night, taking people by trucks, and drop them off in a camp in the south of Albania for anywhere from five to ten years. I, I love that I have a lot of times uh, dreams to escape. I, I took away the idea because I didn't like my family to end up, you know, in these camps. A slim opportunity presented itself, however, in 1989. Hoja had died in 1985, and the succeeding general secretary of the party... Ramiz Alim no longer considered family members of the political enemies responsible for their crimes. In 1990, I saw the opportunity to escape. Father Fred and his friend took their chances and swam seven hours across Lake Scoter. They arrived at Montenegro at four o'clock in the morning. We surrounded ourselves to the police and we told them that we left our communist Albania seeking for freedom. And it was according to their law, they sent us to a court. They give us one month jail. The conditions in the jail were awful. Crowded cells, lice, meager food. When he was released from that jail, he spent three more months in a refugee camp that was located inside a Belgrave prison before he was helped by the International Refugee Committee. He spent months in a motel while they sought to secure him asylum in the United States, where he had a cousin who could sponsor him. You know, by God's grace, I, I uh, reached the... <laughs> The shores of the United States, I, I landed in uh, New York. My cousin was sponsor for me. I lived two months in New York, and after I came in Detroit, because Detroit have two Catholic churches, Albanian Catholic church. Fred spent several years working as a painter, sending money home to family members who were still in Albania, enduring the extreme poverty that a post-Hoja Albania endured. And now, that, uh, as I said, I, I worked you know, for, for two years, for one year and a half, actually, almost two years, I worked because they were in terribly bad shape. 
you know, it's a transition. It was amazingly bad. I mean, believe me, even people might starve to death. I helped a lot my brothers with the money that I went, I get, you know, I, I from my salary. And then after they, the younger brother escaped, he escaped too, and came in the United States in the same year. And then after the other two brothers, 1997. Several years later, with the help of a Detroit Albanian priest who had been imprisoned with his uncle, Fred enrolled in seminary, and after 10 years obtained a doctorate in theology while maintaining a day job at a plastic parts factory in Detroit. Today, Fred Kaye is father to a vibrant congregation of 2,000 Albanian Catholics at St. Paul's Albanian Catholic Church in Rochester Hills. Parishioners describe him as an open-hearted pastor and passionate preacher. You know, many times people think that it is the, the gospel, it is like a beautiful movie, that when you see it a hundred times, you have no more excitement. You know, actually, the, the gospel is something else. Maybe I don't have the, the, the great excitement, you know, that I have, but, but it is more digestible. You see that it is penetrating in your, in your soul, in your mind, in your being, you know, and it transforming. You, you know, you see the result. You see more than, than the, the excitement, the first excitement. You see that because you are more, they do digest, you become part of it. I remember, you know, because I read Luke, Luke and, and, and Mark, you know, here in the United States, but the last gospel that I read, it was St. John, and St. John shocked me, you know, completely. You know, that it was amazing, and then many times I was saying, thank you, God, that you gave me this book to read in that age, you know, and not young, because I thought that you can, you know, you can lose the, the whole flavor. When I, when I was ordained priest and after, I was saying like this, please God, give me always a new grace, a new spirit, so my priest would not be a routine job, but be all times new, fresh and exciting. You know, I, like, I didn't like to be professional. You see, like a person that knows everything and it is like a tape recorder, you know, just you go and do, you have four or five homilies in your head and, and you play. So. I, to be honest, especially when I, I performed the Eucharist, anointing of the sick, and the, and, the, and the confession, you know, all times it looks like I'm preached for the first time. For Father Kaye, this translates into preaching energetically, pacing around the altar, speaking emphatically with his arms, holding the word like it's still a precious hundred-year-old copy of the Gospel of Luke that fell from above in an outlawed nation. Though he's in his 60s, he still speaks with the same euphoric joy of a young, disenchanted man who just discovered the meaning of life in a spiritual desert. And for those in the pews, each time he proclaims the gospel, it's like hearing it read for the first time. Detroit Stories is a production of the Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Alliance Catholic Credit Union. Learn how you belong here at alliancecatholic.com.